Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Let me see. I'm John Verhoeven, and I've worked as a cop. I was in forensics, I was in the air wing, world class, and I was a New South Wales firefighter. Top shelf. Have I... Have I left anything out? Nope, that's all I did. Oh, wait. When my dad and mum were exhausted from too much death, destruction and adventure after years in the emergency services, they did something totally normal. They decided to run a funeral home. In this season of Loose Units, you'll find out what it was like to grow up with parents who ran an actual funeral home, prepared bodies, dealt with grieving families, and who confronted death on a daily basis. It'll be harrowing, thrilling, and loose. Welcome to Loose Units Dead Serious. Hello and welcome to Loose Units Dead Serious. I'm Paul Verhoeven and my dad, John Verhoeven, used to work at a funeral home. Dad, how are you doing this morning? Paul? Yeah. Guess what? What? Something arrived in the mail yesterday. Not yesterday. Uh, It seems like yesterday (laughs) because I haven't slept. Right. Now, the listeners might be going that I sound like my normal manic self, but on Friday, mm-hmm. which is only a few days ago, yeah. a parcel arrived. Well, it, 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 it arrived, but I was in the shower. Can you believe it? That one time in a 24-hour cycle. That's how they, that's how they get you. They wait until you're otherwise occupied, yeah. Mm. And it turns out that it was a parcel. Um, I didn't know what it was. Christine came back and I'd gone out to work. And she wrote to me and said that the book has arrived. In fact, one for her, one for me. Do you know what book that is? Is it the one I wrote? <laughs> it's the one you wrote. Not the Amazing. first one. The second one. Amazing. If it had been the first book you'd written, that would have been weird because that would have meant the, the courier would have been lost in transit for about two years. About two years, yeah. 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 Well, that's not the case. Oh, right. We've already got that one. So, look, I've started reading. Now, the readers and listeners are going to think, come on, John, you're just... You're just plugging a book, but I'm not because you are such a great writer. And I was running on the beach this morning with my Danish friend in the dark and the rain and the wind was freezing and I was actually talking about the book and I was saying to him whilst we were running in, I'd say about a nine or 10 on the Beaufort scale Mm -hmm. and I just said, it's riveting and I actually couldn't put it down. Can you believe it? Are you still holding it now? I'm still holding it. Great. <laughs> I'm not reading it because I'm talking to you and I'm not, I'm not very good at multitasking. Sure. Yeah. But your style of writing is enthralling. Oh, thank you. And um, I may I commend the book to everyone. Are you telling everyone to buy the book? Why wouldn't I? It's Look, the first book was thrilling. Yeah. But I think your, your writing style has evolved sort of. It's just, it's so, oh, God. Anyway, I love it. Thanks, Dad. It's all right. That's very sweet. And I yeah. thank you to everyone who's been pre-ordering it. Please go to Booktopia and grab your copy right now, like pre-order right now, because we have 
Well, a lot of people listen to this show. And let me tell you something. If everyone who listened to this show pre-ordered a copy, this book would basically outsell the Bible. Maybe not the Bible. Maybe like a like a low-tier Bible. But seriously, if you all buy a copy, this book will go gangbusters <clears throat> and it'll just it would just be the most amazing thing ever. So if you have a, if you're sitting on the fence, consider Dad's endorsement the push, uh, where we it's pushing you off the fence into the book, I guess. It's insightful and comedic and it's it's really interesting reading about myself as to how other people perceive me. Right. I think it's um and I get bored very easily, <clears throat> as everyone knows. Mm. But your style of writing is um I think you're a bloody good writer. Thanks, Dad. So and you've obviously got that talent down my side of the family. Naturally. I mean it's funny you mentioned the book because you were mentioning before a you we, we talk a lot off mic and you were mentioning someone from the first book who I had completely forgotten um, in regards to a story that you had for myself and the listeners today. It was well, it was he was he was the drill sergeant from the first loose right. units book. Who didn't he like? Basically, was he the one who took you to the prison to do the drills? Yes, yeah, that's right. Okay, so and, what, um, how how would how could you possibly have a dead serious funeral home related story about someone from loose units? Well, he was the uh, the drill protocol officer for the New South Wales Fire Brigades. Mm-hmm. He was in charge of all the state funerals, or whenever a police officer dies on duty. Yeah. Um, you know, be that a motor vehicle accident or shot or anything terrible on duty, mm-hmm. uh, they have they obviously have a funeral, and there are a lot of protocols that the New South Wales Police Force, similar to a military funeral, but perhaps not with all that pomp and ceremony, but definitely a degree of um, of special ceremony attached to the uh, the service, the police force. Mm-hmm. He'd been a very very hard man, and if the listeners and readers recall in your first book. Um, we were out at the Long Bay Jail doing target practice. Yep. And he was in charge of that particular uh, session. And he was, he was a, look, he was into, he just did everything really, really correctly. During ceremonial marches, he always wore white gloves and, and the precision, the precision of the, uh, did you know that your mother was a part of the precision marching team? No, no, I didn't. Within the New South Wales Police Force. Mm, no. And she would march at very, very special um, events, including funerals. And I'd always remembered him, as you recall, being very tough. And it was me on the day that sort of said, oh, excuse me, Sergeant. He sort of shouted at me and I took it upon myself to thank him on behalf of the class. And mm. I sort of became the unofficial spokesperson for um, F Troop, as we were known back then. Yes. And then it sort of, I'll go back in time a little bit. The Highway Patrol Police in New South Wales, those that ride uh, motorbikes, they're very, um, you know, they're, they're tough, um, no-nonsense career police. They're obviously extremely good motorbike riders. And on the northern beaches for many, many years, and there'll be a couple of people probably that listen to this that are from the northern beaches because this particular Highway Patrol officer who rode motorbikes. So for those people that will recall, there was a particular police motorcyclist. And he had a very, very unique style of riding his motorbike. He used to have his toes pointing down towards the road. He had an unofficial nickname with members of the public, and he was called Toes Down. Do you think that's a bit funny? So hang on, how are your feet meant to... I haven't rid- ridden a motorcycle before. Oh, well, he, he, he's, normally you've got your feet on um, either side, you know, you ride either side with, and your feet are on sort of pegs. Sure. And I guess you could say that they 
basically your feet, your shoes, are parallel or horizontal to the ground. So you're not meant to ride side saddle if you're an officer, is what you're saying? No, you'd never do that. But when you're riding a motorbike, you you sort of look at... Are you laughing, Paul? Well, yeah, because I think it's quite charming. No, (laughs) Paul, that's ridiculous. You couldn't even change the gears. What if I'm a lady? What if I'm a, a proper lady from old Elizabethan times and I just need... To present as a... You know what? Ignore that. Okay. No, so no, feet. no. But listen. No, no. But in Thailand and a lot of Asian countries, yeah. the passenger often rides side saddle. Oh, okay. Great. All right. Excellent. Um, but not the rider. Okay. So, but this guy, he's... I remember him as a, as a, as a teenager mm-hmm. and in my early 20s because I'd observed this guy on the motorbike. How much notoriety can a specific highway patrol officer... Get, I mean, he, was he a celebrity? Because out- not a celebrity at all. He was a hard man, and and you never ever wanted to be pulled over by him because you knew okay. you were basically fucked. Right. Okay. 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 And, he, and he used to ride the big motorbikes, like the Z1R, what the, like the big one thousand Kawasaki's. Um, yeah. They were they were a, a mighty machine. Okay. But every single person, I mean, he just had a unique style of riding a motorbike, mm-hmm. and he he had the nickname. I, I I don't know whether he had that nickname in the New South Wales Police Force. But he was, yeah, as I said, he was known as Toes Down. Okay. And on one fateful day in DY, he was um, going to an urgent job under siren. Yeah. And there were some um, some pebbles on the road down near the beach. And he lost control of the motorbike. And he slid off and he snapped his neck on oh, the gutter and he, he died. Okay. How old was he at the time, do you know? Um, he would have been... I imagine, um, and I may be corrected, but I would imagine he would have been around about perhaps 40, 45. Okay. And I just started working at Kinsella Funeral Homes. Mm-hmm. And I was just learning the ropes. I yep. was very junior. Um, I was just assisting uh, at funerals. Because yep. we'd, um, we'd obviously, you know, started this season talking about how you began there and given all your experience in the police force, I just assumed that they would just throw you into the deep end, but you're saying that you began at the bottom. You were just assisting. The first job I had at Kinsella Funeral Homes was um, maintaining the and cleaning the cars. Yeah, that's right. And that's what the uh, the help wanted ad was actually that's asking right. for. Yeah. A car- yeah. Okay. That particular ad said, in fact, it just said car detailer. It didn't even mention Kinsella Funeral Homes. Right. Okay. So when I phoned that number that was an yep. ad in the small ad in the Manly Daily because yeah. I was in the fire brigade and I just, you know, I, I wanted and needed some, some extra work. Naturally, yeah. Because, you know, I, at that stage I was only uh, running two antique shops, bringing you three kids up, entering gardening competitions, restoring, renovating houses. So I still wanted more things to do. What you're saying is you're a man who knows how to relax. <laughs> mm. Well, I, I find work therapeutic sure okay okay um, but but you were cleaning cars at, at Kinsella and you were at the very bottom of the totem pole but at this point the funeral for toes down got assigned to Kinsella yeah yeah I don't okay. know how that how that came about but we ended okay. up doing the funeral yep and the funeral was held and this is a long time ago but mm-hmm. that day is etched in my mind I didn't no, at the time that we were going to do the funeral for Toes Down, right. the Highway Patrol officer. Do you remember what, I mean, how did, 
how did it come through? How does it? It do would they, have come do, through through a member of the family. Yep. Okay. Um, they would have chosen Kinsella Funeral Homes. I mean, bear in mind that there were really only two major funeral homes on the northern beaches, and the family had had chosen Kinsella's. Yeah. And I, I had nothing to do with. I didn't meet the family. I, I had nothing to do. I was just, you know, th- at the very bottom rung of learning the business. And mm-hmm. um, you know, obviously, I had to wear a black suit because I was there to assist. And then Barry Kinsella, he pulled me aside and he said, look, John, um, I just wanted to let you know that this is a police funeral. And I felt, you know, I'd been in the police force. Um, and, then I, and then I realized, Barry told me a little bit more about um, what was going to happen that day. And he said that it had been a highway patrol motorcyclist and I'd yep. known about the accident. And then it all started to fall into place. And then Barry said, look, um, you know, you're, you're an ex-police officer, um, you can kind of get involved more so. So I had a bit of an accelerated training program Oh, so because Barry obviously knew that you were an ex-cop and he thought, look, this is an appropriate juncture at which you can kind of just skip a few steps, is what you're saying? Very much so, yeah. Okay. And I was um, emotionally... uh, Look, I hadn't really done many funerals. Um, I mean, people think that these... People that do funerals, they're—I uh, don't know—I don't know the the perception from the public, mm. but you know, Christine and I—we used to buy um, and have done. Of you know, everyone knows that I like my Toyota Ute. I've had seven of them, and I bought a lot of them through a particular car dealership on the northern beaches. Yeah, and the salesman that Christine and I dealt with over the years, he ended up being. A funeral director. Funeral, he worked for a funeral home. Right. So people in all walks of life, you know, their situations change. And I think if you're a compassionate person and a decent person, and I think it's a, it's a cool job. Um, and you're really, really, you know, contributing in a, in a really meaningful way to, to families dealing with grief. But um, I remember this particular funeral was in the morning and it was at Newport. It was at a Catholic church. And I remember rocking up and there were police cars um, from our solder breakfast. There we go. A a term that I haven't used for a little while. Mm. I began to think it just felt sort of very, um, very intense, the whole process. How did it, did it feel odd for you to be around people Very odd. in, in Very uniform? Odd. Or? No, I felt good. Okay. But I saw from a distance a very, very immaculately dressed police officer. And he had all the fancy. They wear these sort of extra... They've sort of got a ceremonial dress jacket, which is sort of really... It's. I think it's quite, quite a beautiful looking thing. Mm. It's got tassels and... It's really a little bit over the top, but it means that, you know, this this is a very important occasion. It's a very yeah. serious thing when a police officer dies on duty. Forgive me, but do all police officers who go to a police, like a state funeral, have these? No, or no, only, just, just only the protocol police. They're, they're a very, very small group within the New South Wales Police Force. Yep. And they practice. That's a part of their police career. Mm-hmm. They could be detectives. They could be in forensics. They could be fingerprints. They could be... VKG, yep. Air Wing, the Dog Squad. They could be 
and they come together. They come together for, for a few reasons. They obviously really like um, precision marching. Yep. They, they like the whole drill thing. And they like the ceremony attached to it, and it and it gets them away from their their normal day to day job within the police force. Right. So you've got this group, a core group of people, and they dress immaculately, and they also wear white gloves, as I mentioned before. Yep. Anyway, I'm looking over at this sort of sort of fairly large group of police, mm-hmm. and I could you can pick the ones that were going to be involved in the march. They do a slow march; it's really intense. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. And there, standing there, was Sergeant Green. I saw him. The guy you'd thanked after the. Yeah, but he was a hard, hard man. Right. He was always, he never, he just, he was impenetrable. And I've always regarded it as a real challenge in life. If I meet people that are, are particularly hard or tough or seemingly antisocial or quiet or introverted or for whatever reason. It's always intrigued me, those type of people. Yeah. And I always make an effort to kind of find out more about the person. It's always been one of my sort of challenges. And I approached Sergeant Green... And I spoke to him and I said, I was in a black suit and he at first would have thought, well, you know, who are you? Yeah. And then we got chatting and I told him that I'd been in class 171 and that he had instructed us and he completely, it was like getting some hard butter (laughs) and putting it in a frying pan. He just melted. Wow. And he was so lovely to me. So we had that, that sense of 
there was a connection. He knew I'd been in the police force. Yeah. I remembered him. I gave him an anecdote or two mm-hmm. from the days, and he, he, he knew what I was saying. But then I began to realise that beneath that gruff exterior of a hard, hard police officer mm-hmm. was this super friendly, down-to-earth, jovial, almost charismatic, great guy. He was so nice to me. And we're chatting away, and he sort of he appreciated that there was someone that knew. And then I went over and spoke to Barry and said, look, you know, I know this particular guy. He's, he's running the whole show because the police basically take over and they run the entire um, uh, funeral. Which presumably is very different to a normal funeral. Very different. Yeah. Very different. But then I began to feel, you know, it really affected me yeah. um, because I got to see toes down. I got to see his family. I got to see his wife. Right. I got to see his children. And the rawness of that event, plus the police connection. Mm-hmm. And then we had the big service. And then, the well, the, oh, this is heavy. The, the coffin was shrouded during yeah. the service in a yeah. police flag. And at, you know how my dad, at his funeral, one of the relatives, one of your cousins put a beautiful photograph of my dad, your grandfather. They put yes. that on the coffin. Yeah. And then we had the book on the coffin that Dad had written. Mm. But in this particular case, Paul, as is customary at police funerals, they had his cap on the coffin. Right. So we do the whole service and then they do a slow march. Have you seen like a slow march? It's like they, they take half steps and the foot is just, just comes off the ground ever so slightly and then it glides along. Yeah, I think I have. It's a very yeah. beautiful thing to watch and... When it's done in unison with a group of police or military, um, and it was a sombre and um, quite unnerving situation. Uh, and Barry had kind of thrust me prematurely. Um, he'd sort of, that was, that was probably the funeral where Barry got to see how I acted and reacted in quite a stressful situation. There were a lot of media there. There were probably between three and 500 people there. Right. Plus, he got a police escort. But prior to that, the coffin is taken out of the church, full, followed by sort of a guard of honour with the wife, who was inconsolable, children, relatives. And then what happens with all funerals, at the um, if, it's, if it's in a mass, in a church, the, the coffin, you know, the priest comes out, holy water, the, the wife gets to, you know, throw holy water on the, the coffin. Yeah. But then what happens is that they put the coffin, the coffin is then in, in, put into the back of the hearse, but it's sticking out the back uh, a little bit. And then Sergeant Green, he then reaches into the coffin, into the hearse. He then gets the police hat that had been worn by the deceased officer. Yeah. And he presents it to the wife. With a flag. Right. And it's really, really special. Mm. And the police are sort of, you know, reacting accordingly, trying to sort of be professional. But it's an emotional experience because you hate to see police. I mean, we, we hate to see people die. Mm. But when one of your own, so to speak, you know, 
that that group of because uh, the police force is a it's a tight knit group, right? Um, and then they lower the um you know they lower the back door and the wife's there and people are consoling and then um they do then Murray or Maurice or Sergeant Green he walks to the front of the hearse, and then he does a slow, beautiful precision march in front of the hearse and they he keeps marching down the road until pretty well it's out of sight mm. and then the hearse leaves Maury comes back and then I went back and we chatted and and he thanked me very much and he was great and so that was kind of the first memorable funeral that I did very early on in my funeral career and uh, yeah it was tough you know what's really interesting is that I mean, you and I, throughout the, the, the journey of the podcast and the books, I've sort of um, discovered a couple of things that we have in common. And you mentioned this innate urge you had to want to, you know, to crack or to, to like find out more about impenetrable people, um, specifically this, this drill sergeant. You saw him as a challenge and you wanted to sort of, you know, find an in. I think maybe that's something I inherited from you because at the beginning of this journey, if, you know, uh, listeners go back and listen to the first episode... I wouldn't say you were impenetrable, but you were definitely more of a closed book. Mm. Um, and I, I, I do think I can relate to that desire that you had to sort of find an in with this this huge, like, towering figure who had all these walls up. I think, you know, and I, th- I think if this show this show has proven that it is in, indeed possible to find an in because look at us now. Like, look look at the stories we're, you're telling me now. Mm. Yeah. No, that's amazing, Paul. I, uh, it's taught me a very valuable lesson about humanity, and that is that, and we're all guilty of this, um, but we do make um, assumptions based on what we observe. Yeah. And um, in my life, I've made some really big mistakes judging people. For example, if you were to have coffee at a location, and I'm sure we've all done this, and it's a regular place you go to, and we can all cast our minds back and perhaps not so into the into the so distant past. Yeah. And you see someone within that coffee shop and you see them every morning. And you look at people, you observe them, and we all have our own processes where we analyze, we make assumptions on their physical appearance, on their age, on their demeanor, their dress, the way they interact or don't interact. And we put it all together and we come up with an opinion. God knows I've done it so many times. But then occasionally, so you've come up with your opinion, you've already critiqued them, you've boxed them, you've, you reckon you know them, you've figured them out, you've already decided, no, I don't actually ever want to speak to that person because they're a bit of a tosser, a bit of a wanker, a bit of a whatever. And then through weird circumstances occasionally in life, you get to meet the person. And it's happened to me where... After meeting the person, you realize that you were totally wrong. And sometimes you even become great friends with these people. And it's always a bit of a sort of a, a bit of a, a dark secret that you will hold close to your heart where you knew that you made a mistake. Yeah. You know, that's why, for example, diplomats are so important because they are working at the human level. They're not. They're not. They're not sort of out in front of the cameras. They're not sort of crapping on about all you know, and sort of 
headline issues and and grab issues and going on, but it's the people that are working behind the scenes that build mm-hmm. up long, great, deep friendships, not just with the diplomatic core, but their families and their children. And, it, and that's, that's the human factor. And sometimes I, I'm ashamed of what I've thought of various people that have gone on to become friends. And you look back and think, you know, so it's really, it's, it, it is human nature. To, it, to judge, but yeah. It sounds like um, Barry Kinsella, when you walked in there, sort of had some assumptions initially, but saw past those pretty quickly. Did you have any assumptions about him? I mean, did you walk in and go, well, look, I've dealt with dead bodies before. I know how to do this job. Or did you, you know what I mean? What, what was the dynamic between mm. the two of you okay. uh, when you first met? All right, Paul, he was yeah. very suave, man about town, he had an air of of very comfortable sophistication and he was he was charming and i really liked him and he he liked me he was a kind of a tough nut to crack mm. took a few months because he he had distrust i think um because he knew a lot of police yeah which is a funny thing to say because he i don't think he ever told a lot of detectives used to come to the Kinsella funeral homes um, for lots of reasons. One reason is that they used to grow marijuana in the quadrangle. <laughs> sorry. sorry. They, they had the most incredible, um, I won't say plantation of marijuana, but they had some very healthy plants. That's, that, but in the season, they were about eight feet tall. And I know the detectives used to come around and they used to get stoned um, with Barry. That's uh, that's that's. I feel like that's a bit of a bomb to drop. Honestly, well, yeah. I mean, I'm not could... saying no, no. I'm not saying it's bad. I think it's gr- this whole thing is great. Uh, I've got no problem with that particular thing. But I just no. think that is a. Do we need to dedicate some more time to that down the road? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. There are lots of yeah? nefarious things that used to happen, which I think okay. is all all good fun. Right. I don't think the detectives that used to come to to see Barry on and off duty. Mm. I don't think I, i'm pretty sure barry never ever said oh by the way john used to be in the police force interesting that was and i think question. that's good of him yeah um but i had some great experiences at Kinsella's. um really really wonderful and uh and you know although i just went to Kinsella's to with the sole aim of polishing cars mm. um you know, Barry is a very shrewd businessman, very shrewd and 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 highly educated. And they were, they were a privileged family in Sydney society. Mm. And, you know, he really, really took me under his wing. Yeah. And eventually when he really trusted me, but his core business, no matter what, he always looked after. The people, yeah, the families. He had, a, he was so professional. His empathy was was absolutely top shelf. And I cannot think of a, a better mentor. He did have a brother called Rod, who I believe's passed away. Yeah, uh, he was a, he was a an, an interesting character. He was actually he'd started off. Uh, he he was used to do all their embalming, but he became he used to react to embalming fluid. So he he could never ever do embalming. In fact, he couldn't even go into the room where they do the embalmings. But look, Paul, 
you just for you and the listeners very quickly. Yeah. You mentioned a few minutes ago that I'd said to Barry, "Oh, look, I can I can handle all, you know, I've done I've dealt with you know all the most terrible things and, that, mm. and that's spot on. But what I very quickly learned, Paul, was that dealing with deceased people in a funeral environment I had no, I had no idea what I was in for. Right. No idea. It is totally and utterly like I have shoved thermometers up dead people's rectums, as you know. I've I've been involved in removing people's hands. I've done some pretty creepy stuff in terms of trying to identify people. Mm-hmm. Nothing can prepare you. I mean, I was under the train with the lady cut in too. I've done some. I've spoken. I've been in cars when some of the people in the car have been deceased. You, you, I've been. I've seen it. Yeah. But when you go into a funeral environment, it is totally different. And in later episodes, when we start to talk about, you know, laying out bodies and all the procedures and watching an embalming, yeah, nothing could have prepared me for that. Why don't we go to embalming next week? I think that might be a really interesting place to go because it's such a big part of the industry and I just don't know anything about it. And I mm. assume listeners have a lot of questions. Mm. Uh, and I mean, that is officially all the time we have for this week's episode, but... Dad, that was really amazing. And it was amazing to return to the beginning of your time at Kinsella and hear about, you know, your first big funeral. And the fact that it involved the police is just, it's incredible. Um, So thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, Thank you so much for all of the messages and all of the questions. We have some incredible listener questions lined up for Loose Ends later this week. Dad, we've got just so many amazing things to get to um, at the tail end of this week. So I guess I'll see you then. Fantastic, Paul. Great chatting. <laughs> Love you, mate. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.